Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. I invite you to turn with me, if you have a Bible in front of you, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. As we draw nearer to Christmas Day, we have been pursuing in the last few weeks the theme, On the Road to Bethlehem, and we have been looking to the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus Christ was born. And we've been reading this in order to see what these scriptures say about him, about what kind of Savior he would be. And for many people, it comes as a surprise that there are actually scriptures that were written before Jesus that actually speak about him. So today we are going to look at a particular text from the prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet sent by God to his people almost 700 years before Christ was born. Now at this time, even though the whole world is God's because he created them, God had a special relationship with the Jewish people. And if you were listening last week, you would have heard about how God came to a certain man, Abraham, at a time when the whole world had abandoned the worship of the true God and did not live to serve and worship him, but instead worshipped all kinds of made-up gods. And so God had spoken to this man, Abraham, and told him that he would make his descendants into a great nation, and that through this nation he would bring all the other nations back to himself. And so here we find ourselves roughly a thousand years later, and Abraham's descendants had indeed become a great nation known as the people of Israel. And at this time, the whole world could be separated into two categories, God's people, which was the nation of Israel, and the rest of humanity, which, the Bible says, were living in darkness, not knowing God. But tragically, we are told that even God's people Israel had abandoned him and were worshipping other gods. And so God sends this prophet Isaiah to his people to warn them that their idolatry would be punished. And that's the context of our current text, one of the central pieces of Isaiah's prophecy. So here the Lord declares through Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This passage in the Hebrew is either a poem or a song, and it assumes the perspective of a future generation, after all of the judgments and invasions that Isaiah has prophesied, after they take place. And in the last chapter, Isaiah had just finished describing how God's own people would be left in their spiritual darkness with the rest of the world that did not know or fear God. But now, now he takes a future perspective, 
singing as it were the song of God's people, which they would sing one day when he finally returns to them and brings light back into their darkness. But the striking part of this message is that God's people, the people singing this song, the people who had been dwelling in darkness, are not just the people of Israel, because the introduction into this chapter identifies them as the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Though God had chosen Abraham and his descendants as the starting point for his plan of reconciling the world back to himself, they were never meant to be God's only people. And here we see the light that began in Israel, the knowledge of God, spreading out into the surrounding nations and to the whole world. And though I'm sure that all of us would agree that there is much darkness and hopelessness in the world, much sadness around the globe, Isaiah has been speaking here about a much deeper darkness and sadness, about the absence of the knowledge of God in the world, that people and communities and nations do not know their Creator, and they act like gods unto themselves. The Bible teaches that the violence and war and tragedy that happens between people and communities and nations happens because they have rejected God. And so these people, communities and nations, believe that they are above the law, that there is no law above them. But how? How is God going to bring light into the darkness of our world? What kind of light is this going to be? Here we find this famous passage that Christian communities have always returned to during the Christmas season, this famous text that speaks of the birth of the Messiah, the Savior whom God would send. I repeat here, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is not the first time that the prophet spoke of a Savior who was to come. Already in Isaiah's time there was, of course, the promises given to Adam and to Abraham that we heard about in the last two weeks, and also psalms that were hundreds of years old already that spoke of a coming king called God's Son, who would be God's representative on earth, and who would also be a priest forever, not like the priests of Isaiah's time who came and went. And now Isaiah, whose very name in Hebrew means the salvation of the Lord, once again reminds God's people that their deliverance from oppressors in spiritual darkness would not come from armies or from their own efforts. No, it is the Lord God who sends salvation. When we face the spiritual darkness and the violence of our own age, where do we look for hope? To human efforts or the strength of armies or better education or some international coalition or world government? No, Isaiah's message has been all along that men and women should not look to human solutions, for humanity has forsaken God. The joyous news of Christmas is that God himself was sending a Savior. As Wonderful Counselor, Jesus Christ brought the truth that humanity desperately needed. He taught us that what we needed was deliverance, not from earthly enemies in the first place, but far more importantly from the separation that our sinfulness produced between us and God. He taught us that we need a Savior to die on our behalf, to take the judgment that was ours, so that we could live. As Mighty God, he took that judgment on himself because no one else could bear it. Yes, that means that God the Son suffered at the hands of God the Father. And no, we don't know exactly how that works. God is far beyond our understanding and doesn't need to fit within our understanding of logic. We are only creatures with three-pound brains, 
we cannot understand the ways of God. God would later say through Isaiah, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But the Savior that God would send did far more than teach his people as wonderful counselor and suffer in their place as mighty God. He would also be like a father to his people, gathering them all together as a king would gather his own people. The Savior to come would be building a kingdom here on earth that would know no boundaries, which is his church that is found in every nation and from every people in the world. And he would bring them peace, peace with God and peace with one another, whether Jews or Gentiles, everyone who would follow him as the only king of the world. And the last verse tells us the glorious future of this kingdom. We read there, Of the increase of his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. Jesus Christ, having risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, now governs his church and continues to conquer all of the nations. His kingdom is not like Canada or the United States, where the empires of the, or any of the empires of the world, with a capital city and physical boundaries. No, the capital city is in heaven, where God rules on high and his church continues to grow. And the good news of his suffering and death in our place continues to spread, so that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> 